In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with a matter that may surprise you. It's so basic. It's whether or not the resurrection of the dead happens. And this follows the section on dealing with spiritual gifts from chapter 12 through 14. And you can think of it this way. Chapter 12, Paul begins dealing with the spiritual gifts, telling us that our speaking is the best way to exercise our gift. In chapter 13, he tells us that love is the most excellent way to exercise our gifts. And then in chapter 14, he says, this is the way you build up the church by prophesying. You could say it's the church builder's manual. Once we're prophesying, once people are speaking in the church, Paul needs to make sure they're speaking things that are true. And he's heard that in the church in Corinth, some are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Imagine how you would feel if in a prophesying meeting of the church, you heard someone say, Christ has not been raised from the dead. There is no resurrection from the dead. So I think you can understand Paul's concern and why he needs to spend 58 verses in chapter 15 to touch this in such a thorough way. And he begins by laying out the gospel that he announced to them that they believed. That is, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he has been raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You know, when we hear the gospel like this, often we center on the cross. But in chapter 15, the center is not on the cross, but on the resurrection of Christ. And so we're going to look at this chapter in three major parts. That is, First, the problem of saying that there's no resurrection. Second, the moral influence of resurrection. And third, the body and victory of resurrection. Okay, so let's look at this. So first, the problem with saying that there's no resurrection. And he begins this in verse 12. He says this, But if Christ is proclaimed that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? And this problem, you might say, is the most serious problem in the church in Corinth. It could be. Because without resurrection, like Paul says here in this section, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is vain. In other words, what we've been speaking to you as the gospel is vain. Your faith, he says, is futile. And you're still in your sins, and we are of all men most miserable. I don't want to be of all men most miserable. But the good news is, there is the resurrection from the dead. And so I know what you're thinking. You're like, hello, how could they have not believed in the resurrection? I mean, it's like on the wristband, you know, it's like on the bracelet. I mean, it's one of the major points of being a Christian. And that really brings us to our second section, which is the fact that they had this problem in the church in Corinth is instructive to us because it shows us how much our culture and friendships can really affect our faith. And that's what was going on in the church in Corinth. So the second section is the moral influence of resurrection. You know, like the Corinthians, we live in a culture that does not want to be accountable to any kind of future judgment. And it would rather emphasize having fun now, making the most out of things in this life, and forgetting about any kind of future life. Well, that was also the Corinthians culture. You know, Paul begins to zero in on the moral influence of the belief in resurrection in verses 29 through 34. And let me read you verse 32. It says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, we better enjoy life now. Right? And this was actually a popular saying at the time. And it's basically 
YOLO. It's you only live once. You better enjoy life. So that's the, that's the issue that, of the belief of no resurrection is just morality. It's, it's much less important. You, your main goal then becomes enjoying whatever you have now. But Paul counters this quote with another quote, another quote from another poem. And he says, do not be deceived. Evil companionships corrupt good morals. And he's warning the believers in Corinth not to have evil companionships. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking he's saying, don't hang out with criminals, right? That's an evil companion. But actually the point here is not criminal behavior, but he's saying that people who say there is no resurrection will actually influence your own morality. So, you know, in application, that's really relevant for us to discern our own culture and the idols of our culture. See what it holds dear. Things like fame, uh, financial security, success, these things that are all pertaining to this life with no hope for the future. And we may not think we're influenced by them, but he says that, that the ones that we hang out with can affect our morality. Does that mean that we need to ditch all our friends who aren't Christians? No, but we could take this as a warning to just realize whoever we hang out with, eventually that determines who we are. And Paul says that the ones who are saying there's no resurrection is like they're the one they are like in a drunken stupor. They're ignorant of God and they need to awake. So for them, uh, this is a wake-up call to the reality of resurrection. And so we don't want to be conformed by unbelieving friends to the worldview that they have. Rather, who we are, we want it to be defined by the gospel, defined by the Bible. And that brings us to the third section. I'm really pumped about the third section here. And that is the body and victory of resurrection. Because Paul here is about to show us who we are. And he starts this with a rhetorical question. and It says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? This is verse 35. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So the question here is about the kind of bodies that will be in resurrection. And he briefly answers from nature. He says, you sow a seed, but a plant comes up with a different and better body that God gives it. And then he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. This is verse 42. And he makes several comparisons. He says, it is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a soulish body. It is raised a spiritual body. Then Paul gets to the point here concerning Christ becoming a life-giving spirit. Verse 45, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. So if you have your physical Bible, I hope you are underlining, highlighting this verse, marking it up. Christ's becoming the life-giving spirit is a major step in God's plan, his economy, to fulfill his purpose. First, the word became flesh in John 1.14, and here in 1 Corinthians 15.45, the last Adam in resurrection became a life-giving spirit to unite with our spirit and dispense the divine life into us. So this is who we are in the gospel. We are his believers who have been joined to him by faith. And now Paul's about to describe who we will be in resurrection. He says this, 
Even as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And this is where he begins to speak about the victory of resurrection, the victory of resurrection over death. He says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this happens, then the word which is written will come to pass. Death has been swallowed up unto victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Resurrection conquers death. Resurrection is able to ask death, Death, where is your victory? I've conquered it. I've swallowed you up. And so this really motivates us in our work with the Lord, in our walk, in our walk with the Lord, in our work for the Lord. We should be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that what we're doing is not in vain because not even death can conquer it. Resurrection is our future hope and it's our present experience today. So this is a wonderful identity that Paul shows us in 1 Corinthians 15. So that's 1 Corinthians 15. I hope we see the three major sections. Paul addresses the problem of saying there's no resurrection, the moral influence of resurrection, and the body and victory of resurrection.